We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And real quick, I want to introduce you to someone who uh, is new to the Radiant family for us. A couple weeks ago, I was in Atlanta for my leadership coaching, and uh, there's several of us that are a part of it, and one of them is a gentleman named uh, Bode, and we have a picture of him. This is Bode and his wife, whose name I've forgotten because we're this close. This is me over here. Uh, That was funny for two of you. I... So anyways, Bode is in West Philadelphia, and I won't sing the whole song for you. <laughs> Two people think I'm hilarious. The rest of you are like my wife. Uh, no. <laughs> so anyways, Bode planted a church in Philadelphia, and it's, I mean, he's just doing an incredible thing there. And as we're talking to him, getting to know more about him and our group, and uh, we find out that he works at Comcast full-time. Uh, 50 hours a week usually he's putting in and then trying to get his church plant going on top of that. And we all said, Bo, that's absolutely insane. Like, what are you thinking? And he says, well, I'd love to not have to work, but I just have to because I need money to support my family. And so we said, well, how much money do you need? And he told us how much he made. And so we got together and we talked and we said, good news, you can quit your job. I hope it's easier than canceling your subscription with Comcast. But <laughs> so he might still be employed there for years. Who knows? But what we're doing is some other churches and Radiant Church, we decided we're going to come together and we're going to pay his salary for the next year so that he can just focus on reaching the people of his community and he can focus on spending time with his wife and his children. So, thank you for your generosity. And we're expecting God's going to do awesome things and transform church in Philadelphia. So, Father, as we give back to you, we're so grateful that you first gave to us God, we're so grateful for Bode. Jesus, we're so grateful for Transform Church. And Jesus, we pray that it would live up to its name, that you would transform his community because of your great power and your great love. And God, that you would uh, multiply the hours now that he has to devote towards pastoring this church. Jesus, that you would bring increase in every area. And God, we just pray that we would see in the next year so many people come to know you because of what you're doing in this man and his wife and his ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest, especially on a holiday weekend. That's like 40 extra heaven points, if there are such a thing, because you could have been doing a lot of things, but you chose to be here, and we're so grateful for that. In the seat back in front of you, there are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one out and turn it in at the information table on your way out. We have a free Radiant t-shirt for you as our way of saying thanks for being here. And then also, uh, I'll shoot you an email this week just welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Also, if you want to know more about the church, we have our Next Steps Belong class today after service in here, where it's just you'll spend about a half hour with me. I'll just tell you about the vision and the values of Radiant Church, and you have an opportunity to ask me some questions. So if you want to know more about it or get involved in Radiant Church, this is a great first step for you to make in doing that. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. As we're in our series, uh, Luke investigating Jesus, or trying to learn more about who Jesus is, what he taught, how we're called to live our lives. And today we're going to be talking about friends. Friends are a really good thing, especially coming up on the 4th of July. If you had a childhood anything like me, you and your friends, uh, you went out of state because back then you had to do that. If any law enforcement agencies are listening, I didn't purchase the fireworks, it was all my friends. But I was with them, and then we'd come back with all these great fireworks that we were going to shoot off. And we got really bad ideas like, hey, we can put bottle rockets in our wristwatches, and we can light them and shoot them off, and it'll be really cool. And it's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so we'd do that. It'd get stuck in the watch. It'd blow up. Molten plastic would go all over us and burn us. 
And then we say, okay, we just got to wear looser watches. And then we wear a looser watch, and the same thing would happen, and it would blow up. And then one of us would finally say, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. So then we tried it with Roman candles, which was an even worse idea. And we do things like, hey, putting one mortar in a tube is really cool. What happens if you put two of them in a tube at the same time? And then it blows up and people are injured. And some friend at some point says, guys, enough is enough. We're all going to die. And you say, yeah, that's probably true. So uh, young guys, we need friends just to keep us alive. But we all need friends at every point of our life who are going to be there for us and who are going to do things in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. And that's what we see happening in Luke chapter 5. It begins in verse 17. And it says, One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Uh, what's happened right before this passage is Jesus is healing people like we've been talking about in the last few weeks. He's healing people, casting out demons. The crowds are gathering by him. And then he does the unthinkable. He leaves the crowds who are pressing in around him and he goes out into quiet places or he goes out in the desert to pray. This seems like it's counterintuitive. Jesus, you have a great audience that's around you. There's lots of people who need you to minister to them. Why are you running away to pray? But it's because there's a pattern that we see again and again in the life of Jesus. It starts with when he's baptized in the Holy Spirit at the Jordan River. If he receives the miraculous power of God in his life. And now he goes out to do his ministry. And he goes out, he teaches the kingdom of God. He preaches about what it's like, the kingdom ethic, how you enter into the kingdom. He heals people and casts out demons to confirm that he's not a crazy guy, but the message that he's preaching is true. Crowds gather, and then he goes off to pray by himself. And then it starts over. He comes back. He teaches about the kingdom of God. He heals people. He casts out demons. Big crowds gather, and he goes off in the quiet, and he prays by himself once again. Because for Jesus to continue to operate in the supernatural ministry that he had been sent to earth to do, it required that he have deep intimacy with the Holy Spirit, and it required that he have a deep and intimate prayer life with his heavenly Father. And that's the model that we see demonstrated again and again in the life of Jesus. But we also see something else happen. Is that every time Jesus is going out and teaching on the kingdom of God, and he's miraculously healing people and casting out demons, he also draws critics, which is just a natural part of it. If you're someone who's going to live your life saying, I'm going to be a friend of sinners, there's going to be some religious people who are going to get pretty mad at you. If you decide that you're going to go around and you're going to operate in the supernatural power of God to see people saved, set free, healed, and delivered, there's going to be some people, religious and unreligious, who are going to get pretty upset at you and think that you're crazy or you're demon-possessed or you're a fraud or whatever it is that might happen. And this is exactly what's happening with Jesus. It goes on to say that there are people from all over the entire land that are Pharisees and teachers of the law, the critics, they're coming to him because they want to watch to see him slip up. They want to see him make a mistake so they can condemn him and shame him and tell everybody that Jesus is crazy and you shouldn't follow him. And it continues on and it says this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. There's a group of friends, and at some point, one of them ends up being paralyzed. We don't know what it is that's caused this to happen, if there's a disease, if there was an accident, 
But somewhere along the way, this man becomes paralyzed, and he's bedridden at this point. There's absolutely no hope for him medically. Uh, There's just nothing that can do. His destiny is to live on his mat. He's going to be paralyzed the rest of his life. He can't provide for himself. He can't even clean himself. He can't feed himself. He can't provide for a family. There's no hope of that ever happening for him. And most likely, he's going to end up being shunned by all of the society. They would say, you've obviously done something wrong, and this is God's punishment for you. Uh, you guys have probably never heard anybody say something like that. And he's unable to be a part of his community because of that, and he's probably going to lay on that mat until he dies an early death. But he has one thing going for him. And they say he has some friends that love him. He has some friends that look at him, and they're not willing to accept the state that he finds himself in. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to see this poor paralyzed man receive healing and receive the fullness of the life that it is that Jesus has to offer us. And so when they find out that Jesus is performing all of these miracles, they, they, like faith rises up inside of them and they say, I know what we can do for our friend. We just have to get him to Jesus. Jesus will heal him and then he's going to be able to live the life that he's always wanted and the life that we know that has been what he was created for from the beginning of time. So they get their friend, he's on his sleeping mat, and I don't know if you've ever tried to carry someone that's dead weight, but it's not easy. And mats don't have handles on them. So it's a great effort for these friends to try to pick up this mat that their other paralyzed friend is on, and they're trying to carry him and get him to the presence of Jesus so he can be healed. I imagine they probably dropped him a few times. Uh, Whenever you try to help someone, you're going to make mistakes. Just understand that and realize that. You're probably going to drop people a few times, but it's okay, because he's already paralyzed, so you're not going to make him worse Um, But you're trying to help. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's the 4th of July weekend. I'm off. But anyways, they're going to great lengths to try to carry their poor paralyzed friend to the presence of Jesus so that he can be healed. It's a great physical exertion for them. But because they love this man, they're willing to do it. They get to the house where Jesus is, and the crowd there is so thick because Jesus is drawing so many people that they can't get into it. Jesus is in the house. You can imagine that place is just jam-packed full of people at this point. And there's people that are outside of it. They're trying to listen through the windows. They're trying to see him through the door. Jesus is in there teaching. He's healing people. So they're coming, carrying this mat. And you would think that people would look at it and say, oh my goodness, there's a crippled guy here. He's on a mat. Let's make room for him to get through. But the opposite takes place. Because he's a sinner. He's someone that's bearing God's punishment in his body because he's crippled. He's thought of now as being ceremonially unclean and you can't be around him. You certainly can't make contact with him. If you bumped into him, like heaven forbid, now you're ceremonially unclean and you're not able to be around the presence of God. So instead of trying to help this man and get him there, they're scared that if Jesus sees a crippled guy, like he's going to be scared off and they're going to lose Jesus. And that just goes to show it's easier for God to part the Red Sea for two million people to cross through it than it is for us to soften our hearts enough for one person to need to be able to come to the presence of Jesus. That's human nature. We tend to shun other people and look down on other people. But these friends are so good, and this is what happens. It says, So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. The friends have come so far, they've gone to such great effort, and their love for their crippled friend is so much that they just refuse to be denied. 
they aren't going to let anything stop them from seeing a miracle happen inside of his life. They're not going to let anything stop him from coming into the presence of the one who with one word, with one touch, can completely restore him, completely take him back to a place in community, can see him healed and set free forever. And this is pretty bold. It's pretty bold just trying to carry someone all the way there. But it's really bold when you decide, I can't get in. I'm going to go up to the top of this stranger's house who I don't know. I'm going to start tearing up tiles and cutting a hole in the roof of this person I don't know again. I'm going to cut a hole in the roof of a stranger and then lower my friend down on a mat right in front of him. I think about the bad things that could happen here. You've already had trouble just carrying a mat. Now you're going to lower the guy down through the roof? You don't know this person. If someone was cutting a hole in my roof... My thought isn't going to be, oh, bless you. You are so full of faith. It's going to be like, I'm calling the cops. I'm getting a bat. Like, stop messing up my house. And for him, the fact that it has tiles on it says that he's improved his house. Because originally, these homes were all made of mud. They had mud, dried roofs that were on top of them. So when the Hellenists come in and they see the modern culture of Rome and the, the tiles that they put on there, this guy decides, I'm going to put some money into my house to make it better, get some tiles for it. And they're coming in and they're messing up his recently renovated home. This guy cares about his house because he upgraded it. Now they're tearing off the tiles and they're cutting holes in it. Can you imagine the reaction of this homeowner? Sitting there, it's like stuff starts falling on your head and you're looking up and you see what's happening in front of you. That takes some bold friends to do something like that. But it doesn't matter what the reaction is of the homeowner. What matters is the reaction of Jesus. And this is how Jesus responds. It says, seeing their faith... Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. It took a lot of faith to cut a hole inside of that roof and to lower him down. It took a lot of faith to carry him all the way there, knowing that nothing might have happened. They might have been thrown in jail. They might have been beat up. A lot of things could have happened. But they were bold and they had faith in what it was that Jesus could do. And it says that Jesus responds to that. And that's what Jesus always does. How are we saved? It's by faith. How is it that we receive freedom and deliverance or healing from God? It's all by faith. How is it we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's all by faith. And when we come to Jesus by faith, we receive things from him that we couldn't otherwise receive. We see that again and again through the Bible. It's Jesus seeing their faith. Jesus seeing their faith. Jesus amazed by their faith. Jesus says, let it be according to your faith. Again and again, Jesus sees faith of people and he responds to them in proportion to their faith. And so when they come believing that Jesus can heal their friend, cutting a hole in the roof and lowering him down through it, says Jesus sees their faith and says, young man, your sins are forgiven. What Jesus did was he went beyond what they even had faith for. They came here thinking, my friend needs to get healed. He needs to be able to walk. But Jesus takes it a step farther, and he goes to the greatest need that this friend has. The greatest need he has isn't to be able to walk. Walking is definitely a need that he has, but it's not his greatest need. His greatest need is to be forgiven of his sins. Because without forgiveness of sins, even if he spent the rest of his life walking, the day is still coming when he is not going to be alive anymore. Death still waits for him, even if he's healed. 
And if we die without the forgiveness of our sins and we go before the judgment of God, still carrying our sins and deserving the penalty of our sins, we receive the penalty for our sins. So Jesus sees faith in response to it by saying, your sins are forgiven. You came here looking for a miraculous healing. I'm going to take it a step farther. I'm going to completely forgive you of your sins. I took care of your biggest need that you have. And now you have the full renewal of your body. The day is going to come when all of this world that we know passes away and there's a new heavens and a new earth that are created and we all receive new perfect bodies that will never get sick, that will never hurt, that will never be in pain, suffer, or die again. And for all eternity, that's going to be the way that we exist. If we spend a hundred years here on this earth, which is a, a really, like you did a great job of living. You probably did not eat a lot of bacon or have a lot of fun in life if you live to be a hundred years old. But good job anyways. But still, every one of us is going to die. And so when Jesus comes to this man, he goes to the biggest need that he has and says, your sins are forgiven. Now relationship with God is restored. You're going to be able to have closeness and intimacy with God. You're going to be able to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be able to know that you will spend eternity fully renewed. That's an incredible gift that God gives us. That's an incredible thing that Jesus does. This is a miraculous moment. It's like someone's up here and we're praying for them and we're just ministering to them. Something awesome is happening. And this is what happens. Jesus is forgiving sins, saying that I have the authority to forgive sins and to heal people. And there's other people who are watching and they're mad about this. It says, but the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So while Jesus is doing this incredible thing for someone, other people are being critics. And they're, they're like mad about the fact that Jesus is forgiving a crippled man and that he's being fully restored. They're freaking out about this because what, in a sense, is happening is Jesus is claiming to be God. That's what they're mad about. I know there are some people who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's just absolutely ridiculous. This is one of the many examples of him claiming to be God is that he's saying, I can forgive your sins. And that's why the Pharisees are upset because they recognize that Jesus is saying, I am God. I have the ability to forgive your sins. And it goes on to say, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So we asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority uh, on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Jesus calls them out. He knows what it is that they're thinking. And so he decides to prove to them, Yeah, I actually am God. So he already was. He didn't have to prove himself to be God. Like he was. But he knows what they're thinking, so he decides that he's going to show them who he really is for the benefit of them and the others that are around them. You see, when you say your sins are forgiven, there's no way to verify that, right? Like, we have to wait until the judgment of, of all of us to be able to say, oh, yep, that guy really was forgiven, or nope, he wasn't. That's a long time from now. You can't verify that. But you can verify a healing, right? If a guy is crippled, he's been paralyzed, he's on a mat, you just saw him get lowered through a roof, you're pretty sure this guy isn't faking it. And if he were to get up and walk, it would prove that Jesus really does have authority and power to forgive us and also to heal us. So Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet now. He's saying, okay, you don't believe me for the things I've done? Well, let me show you something that's verifiable. And it says this, And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up 
picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Mic drop for Jesus. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. I love that. Jesus has the ability to forgive sins and to bring healing to you. Those are two things that when we think of Jesus and we think of what the holy possible is for us, those are two things that should always come to our mind because we see it played out again and again and again. Jesus forgives sins and he brings healing, he brings freedom, he brings restoration. Those are the things that Jesus does. And when he does those things, people freak out. It's like when God does something miraculous, when people see great things, they go around praising God. They're like, oh my goodness, you truly are God. We're so happy. And they're excited. They praise him. Lives are changed. How many people probably had faith built up for healing after that, wouldn't you think? Like, hey, maybe I, I want to get healed. Like, I didn't know if Jesus could heal, but I just saw that guy get lowered down through the roof and get up and walk around. Like, Jesus, I want to be healed too. Or, Jesus, can you forgive my sins? That's what happens when we see these kinds of things happen. And I think we all want to be people who see that happen in our life, and we want to see that happen in the lives of our friends. Don't you want to see Jesus do miraculous, awe-inspiring things that grip our hearts? Don't we want to see Jesus bring healing and freedom and forgiveness of sin to our friends? That's what I want to see. More than anything, that's what I want to see. I want to see Jesus do in the lives of others what it is that he's done in my life. But if we want to see that happen in the lives of our friends, here's what we learn from this whole story about what we have to do. Is first, we have to live a life of prayer and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. That goes back to the pattern of Jesus. His whole ministry can be defined as living a life of prayer and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He's out there. He's ministering. He's getting away to pray. It says that he's praying all night. Everything keeps happening. He just keeps coming back, and he keeps praying again and again and again. He's devoting his life to prayer, and he's devoting his life to intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like, thanks, Holy Spirit. Like, check that one off the list. I'm good to go now. He's constantly living in communion with the Holy Spirit. It says that he's only doing the things that he sees the Father do. He's only saying the things that he hears the Father say. Jesus is so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he hears what God's saying and he sees what it is that God is doing and he just acts in response to that. Why is it that he healed this man? Because he could see in the, his spiritual eye that the Heavenly Father was pouring out an anointing for healing for this particular man. It wasn't just the friends that had faith for his healing, but Jesus himself had faith that this man was going to be healed when he spoke over him and when he prayed over him. If we want to see Jesus do miraculous things in the lives of our friends, if we want to be a part of the miraculous things that Jesus wants to do, we have to live a life like he did where we're constantly in prayer and we're constantly listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And number two, we have to determine who we will be. That's the next thing is, who are you going to be in this story? Because there's two big different groups that are kind of competing in this story, and they have two very different approaches. The first one is the friends that are filled with faith. They're not willing to accept that their friend is paralyzed, that he's going to live the rest of his life in that state. They're not willing to accept that he's going to live the rest of his life with unforgiven sin. They're not willing to accept that he's going to be kept from the freedom that's possible for him. They're not willing to accept his brokenness. They're not willing to accept the pain that it is that he's going through. And they're willing to do anything that it takes for him to receive something from Jesus. 
The other group of people are the Pharisees that are there, and they're watching him. And they are 100% completely fine with him living the rest of his life as a paralyzed person. They are completely fine with him living unable to provide for himself, having to rely just on the mercy of others. They're completely fine with him not being able to have a family. They're fine with him not being able to come into the presence of Jesus. They're fine with him being out there knowing that he's going to die in early life. In fact, they think that this is what this man deserves. There are two different views. There are two different competing groups that are playing out in this story. And who is it that we're going to be? Are we going to be the friends that are filled with faith? And when we look at someone that's in our life that's a friend of ours and we see that they're far from God, we see that there's hurt, we see that there's brokenness inside of their life, we see there needs to be healing or restoration or a marriage issue or an issue with children or whatever it might be that's going on, are we going to be there and say that this is unacceptable, that this is going on in my friend's life, and I'm going to do whatever it takes so that my friend can receive something from Jesus because I know that Jesus is able to forgive sins and I know that Jesus is able to set free and to restore. Are we going to be those friends that are filled with that kind of faith or are we going to be the Pharisees who just look at the people that are around us and our friends and we're completely okay with how they're living? I think a part of the problem with the culture that we live in is we've become so accepting of everything, which it's good that we are accepting and that we're more tolerant, but are we willing to be tolerant of the fact that people around us are hurt and broken and that there's hope for them, but we don't want to offend them so we never tell them about that? Like if someone was having, if one of my friends was having a stroke and I know that they need medical attention, I could be really super tolerant and say, hey, this might be your path to fulfillment. This might be your path to enlightenment. I don't want to impose on you. So, you know, just do your thing, all right? Or am I going to be the friend that's like, I'm going to get on 911 and I don't care if, like, you're just like, don't give me an ambulance right, I can't afford it. I don't care, I'll pay for it. Like, whatever, we're going to get you to a hospital, we're going to get you to a doctor's because you need help. Now, you can ultimately refuse that help if you want, but I'm not going to, I'm going to do everything I can to try to convince you that you need medical attention and I will bear any expense that it costs me to make sure that you can receive that. You're not really someone's friend if you're willing to just watch them suffer, perish, and die before you without ever telling them that there is a hope in Jesus. That's not a friend. That's a Pharisee. That's being a product of the culture that we live in. That's being shaped more by our culture than it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we going to be those who have faith for our friends and we're willing to do whatever it takes to, number three, get them to Jesus? When they look at their paralyzed friend, they know that they have to get him to Jesus that Jesus is their only hope. He's the only hope for this man, the only hope in all of this world. And so they pick him up, they exert themselves, they put themselves in danger, possible arrest and prosecution, whatever it might be. They say nothing is going to deny us. When they try to carry him to Jesus and the crowd is there, they're not even going to let that stop them. They cut the hole in the roof to lower him down right on top of Jesus. Are you going to be the type of friend that's going to do whatever it takes to get your friend to the presence of Jesus? Never giving up, no matter what it takes, no matter what the cost may be. Because Jesus is the only hope. Well, how do you get them to Jesus? And there's two really good ways that you do that. Because number one, you need to recognize that as a Christian, if you're a believer, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit now you host the presence of Jesus wherever it is that you go. 
Everywhere you go, you are the temple for the living God. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes, because it says that now he lives inside of your heart, that you are the place that he takes up residence. Everywhere you go, the presence of Jesus is. And so if you want to be able to get your friends into the presence of Jesus, just do a really good job at hosting the presence of God in your life. Again, that comes back to, are you going to pray? Are you going to seek after God? Are you going to study scripture? Are you going to become obedient to Jesus to further bring more of his anointing and presence in your life? Are you going to seek after him? Are you going to do whatever it takes to host the presence of God well in your life? You've all been around someone that when you're around me, you've said, this person knows Jesus. And when I'm around them, I encounter God. When I'm around them, I'm filled with hope. When I'm around them, I'm inspired to believe that God can do something inside of my life. You've all been around people like that. You can be that type of person. And that's what our world needs. God said that you are the salt and you are the light of this world. When he died on the cross, it wasn't just so that you could be forgiven of your sins and be beamed up to heaven. He did it so that now the presence of God could be in you and so that his effort and what he did could be multiplied all across the face of the earth. Jesus was, confined himself to one person at one place. That's why I said it's better that I go away and send you the Holy Spirit because when that happens, now the presence of God is in every single person who's a believer and the ministry of Jesus is multiplied into the life of every single one of us. We can be the model and the example of Jesus to our friends. That's what we were called to be. We were called to be light. We were called to be friends of sinners so that when they were around us, they could see and be inspired to believe that God could do in their life what it is that he's done in us. But if they can't see that God's done anything in our life, then Christianity just becomes another false myth to them, or we just become another you know, group of hypocrites who profess one thing but live out something very differently. That's not what God's called you to. He's called you to be a partner in the ministry of reconciliation. And the greatest way that you do that is by hosting God's presence, living in the change and renewed life so that when you're around other people who are far from Jesus, you don't have to be like, hey, sinner, turn or burn. They just look at you and they say, I want that. I want that. What happens too many times is we do a good job of being friends of sinners, but instead of them becoming like us, we become like them, right? We need to be those who love people unconditionally, but are also unapologetic about our first love being Jesus and his call in our life. And we need to model and to demonstrate to them the holy possible of what God can do in us. And when you do that, you became the proof of the power of the gospel and the proof of what can happen if you choose to follow after Jesus. Then the second thing is get them to church. Like, I love church. Radiant Church, if you hate Radiant Church, don't come back to go somewhere else and invite your friends to that church. But go to a church somewhere. We create a place every single week where you can encounter the presence of God in a way that you don't on your own. When there's hundreds of us gathering together, singing and worshiping Jesus, like, it's different than when we're by ourselves. I love worship by myself. I love worship with all of us together. But you've all probably experienced that, where just the presence of God is thick and you hear him speaking to you as you gather together corporately. Every single week, we create a place for people to come and encounter the presence of Jesus. Model and demonstrate that. Take Jesus to them by the way that you live your life. And then also get them to Jesus by bringing them to church with you. I think the stat is something like 85% of people would go to church with a friend if a friend would just actually invite them to come. The place has been prepared. Bring your friends to the feast. 
And then, never give up. There are going to be obstacles. It's very rare that you decide, hey, you know what? My friend definitely needs Jesus, um, so I'm just going to invite them to church. I'm just going to tell them about God's love for them, and they're automatically just going to you know, repent of their sins, and there's going to be a dove that falls down as they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and everything's going to be awesome. Like, that might happen once in a while, but generally what's going to happen is you're going to tell someone about Jesus, and you're going to be like, oh, all right, well, good. How about those lions? You know, they'll try to change the subject or whatever it is that might happen. And yet it can be really deflating to you. Those are the obstacles that come up. I'm sure that when the friends decided they were going to take their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they didn't imagine that the crowd would be so great that they couldn't get in and people would try to keep them out. They could have given up then, but they didn't. I'm sure they didn't imagine they had to go up on top of a roof and pull up tiles and cut holes in the roof and lower him down. But they said, nothing's going to make us stop. We're going to continue to do whatever it takes so that my friend can receive the forgiveness of sins and so that my friend can receive healing and restoration. Your friend might resist, and don't be a jerk about it, but keep putting them in the place where they can encounter the presence of God. Keep going through every obstacle that they put up. If they turn you down again and again, that's okay. If you invite them to church and they say, no, I hate churches, that's okay. Invite them again and again. Keep praying for them. Keep interceding for them. Keep modeling it to them. Because if you keep pushing through those obstacles, sometimes it will take you weeks, months, years, even decades. But it's worth praying for your friends and worth going through obstacles that can take you decades to get through so that your friend can receive the hope that comes from Jesus. Don't let your faith be deterred. Because there's going to come a point where Jesus looks at your faith and faith is going to be stirred up in the heart of your friend. And Jesus is going to forgive their sins. And he's going to bring healing and restoration into their life. If we'll just keep going on, never giving up, persevering through it all. I've shared this story before, but it's one that's still really near and dear to my heart. So growing up, I had a friend that it was 20 years ago, really, when uh, he decided he was done with church, and there had been some things that went on that really kind of burned him on God and got to the point where he said, I don't believe that there is a God, or if there is a God, he's certainly not good or involved in our life in any sort of way. And this broke my heart because he was a friend that I'd had since third grade, and I just knew that God had something special for him. But he walked away and he just you know, got involved with lots of girls and partying and you know, trying to pursue a career and you know, success, wealth, all of those sorts of things. And that's what his life became about. And as he continued to pursue those things, his life just continued to deteriorate more and more and more. And I just kept telling him, though, over and over again, not every time I saw him, but I just looked for those divine opportunities. I looked for those conversations where I could tell him, you know, I know that you might not believe in Jesus anymore, but he still loves you, and he's still pursuing you. And there's a life that you can have that's better than anything that you could ever make for yourself. It's like, yeah, I know, I know that works for you. And I remained his friend, and it wasn't just all of our contact was, hey, like, you know, turn and, you know, follow Jesus. I'm so happy all the time. It was a lot of, hey, how are the lions? Talking about small talk, talking about what's going on in our careers, with our families, things like that. Like, we were actually friends. It wasn't just me trying to evangelize this guy. We were actually friends, and I think that's so important in what we do. And finally, one day, it was last summer, 
He calls me up when I was at Ford ELC when we did the little luncheon for all of the teachers there. And I get a phone call and I see it and I'm like, I'm going to take this from him. And I, I pick up the phone. He says, hey, Jeremy. I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, I just wanted to let you know that Sunday I went to church and I decided I'm going to follow Jesus. It was 20 years of praying. It was 20 years of me trying to model and to demonstrate Jesus to him. It was 20 years of never giving up, even when it looked like you probably couldn't be farther from God than this person was at this point. But Jesus loves him, and Jesus loves every single friend that you have. And Jesus created them that they could experience his forgiveness in their life he shed his blood, he laid down his life to remove every obstacle that would keep them from forgiveness of sins and that would keep them from restoration. Jesus loves your friends more than you ever possibly could. And he's persevered longer, he's sacrificed more than you ever will. But he's called you to be a partner in this work. He's called you to be the friend that's filled with faith, that's willing to pick up the mat, to persevere, to fight through the crowds, to tear a hole in the roof if that's what it takes so that this person can receive everything that Jesus died on the cross for them to receive. Would you stand with me this morning? So spend a moment praying, asking God to speak to us. God, this morning we're gathered here together. Would you identify at least one friend in our minds right now who you've called us to be filled with faith for? God, who's that friend that's on the mat? Even if they don't realize it. Who's that friend that you've called me to? There might be a lot of them for you. Well, let God bring those people to your mind. And let me ask you this. Do you want to see Jesus do something miraculous in their life, like what he's done in yours, like we did in the life of this man that was paralyzed? Because Jesus is able. And Jesus is willing. He's demonstrated that again and again. Really, it comes down to us. Are you willing to live the type of life that will lead to miraculous results in the lives of your friends? Will you commit to being a woman or a man of prayer who's going to draw away to focus on hosting the presence of God in your life? seeking after Jesus to live a life that models and demonstrates what it is that you can do inside of our hearts. So we're not just hypocrites. So they were the demonstration of the holy possible. Are you willing to live a life of doing whatever it takes to get them to Jesus? looking for every opportunity, 
Are you willing to never give up fighting through every obstacle, no matter how long it may take, again and again and again, laying yourself out there so that your friend can receive what Jesus has to give them? If you're willing to do that, you're going to see God do miraculous things. And we're just going to pray together and encourage you. Pray for that person or those people that are on your heart right now. And God, we come before you, and we're so grateful for what you've done in us. Jesus, we're a changed and we're a renewed people. We've received forgiveness of sins, God. There's intimacy that we have with you now as our Father. God, you speak to us. We have the ability to hear you. We walk in freedom. Jesus, thank you for these things that you've done in us. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the hope of the future that we have. Jesus, uh, we pray now. God, thank you that you've put these people on our minds. And Jesus, would you fill us with new love for them? God, even when people are difficult, even when it's hard and there's personality conflicts or whatever it is that might come across, Jesus, would you keep our hearts sensitive towards them? God, would you continue to put us in a position where we're willing to sacrifice for them? Demonstrate our love through sacrifice, Jesus. Continuing to love them when they're unlovable. Continuing to love them in their hurt and their brokenness, not judging them or condemning them, but God, standing in the gap for them, praying that you would come and that you would reveal yourself and that you would move in their life. Jesus, would you build our faith so that when you look upon us, you'd, be, you'd look at our faith and say, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Jesus, build that kind of faith in our hearts for even the friend that seems the farthest from you right now to come to the place where they receive forgiveness of sins and healing and freedom and restoration, Jesus. That we would believe you for all of those things inside of their lives. And God, would you build perseverance in our hearts that we would never give up God, give us that kind of love and perseverance that you have for us. That even when we were living as enemies of the cross, you never gave up on us. You never have and you never will. Continuing to pour yourself out. Jesus, going to the cross for people that rejected you. God, will we live with that same kind of perseverance inside of us? Jesus, we want to see this church filled with our friends. God, we want to see this church filled with our family. God, with our co-workers, with the people that we're meeting. Jesus, let it not be acceptable in our hearts anymore that they would live their life far from you in their hurt and in their brokenness, but that we would do whatever it takes to see them receive healing and forgiveness from you and live in the new life that you've won for them. And this morning, if you've wanted that for yourself, Maybe someone invited you or you've been coming and God's moving on your heart now and you've never come to that place where you've said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I need the new life that you have made available for me. I want that. And this is what it says. It says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you're going to be saved, that you're going to receive that. So all it takes is for you to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want new life from you. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? From this day forward, I'm going to follow after you. I'm not going to live as the Lord of my own life anymore. I'm going to let you be God in my life. I'm going to be obedient to you and to everything that you've called me to. From this day forward, come and do a new work in my heart. Change me forever to be like you. And fill me with freedom, 
with hope, with joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They're just going to be right up here in the front on the sides. If you, pr- if you decide this morning you want to follow Jesus, we'd love to connect with you and encourage you. If there's anything else we can pray with you about, if, if there's sickness in your body, if there's something going on in your life, you wisdom for decision, provision, whatever it is, we see Jesus move miraculously all the time in response to the prayers of his people. We just love to pray with you and, and agree with you for what God's going to do in your life. And we'll be up here and we'll pray with you as long as it takes. If not, I encourage you, go out there, drink some coffee, make some friends, and this week, be committed. God, who is it that you've called me to? And Jesus, I'm in this for the long haul to see you bring freedom and healing and restoration to my friends. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. God bless, and we'll see you next week.